The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. Now, on today's episode, we have got on a lawyer, a YouTuber, and a rumbler. Important to get that in, a rumbler. And this is, of course, the one and only Viva Fry. How you doing? Zuby, I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Happy to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's, it's very cool. Meeting someone in real life who I've only known through social media. It's, 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 a, it's a bizarre world out there. <laughs> yeah, I think most people I meet these days, I know first through social media before I meet them in real life. So that's just the world we live in now. Yeah, well, my concern, if someone only knows me from social media, but only from the Twitter side of social media, they might think I'm a lot angrier <laughs> and eccentric than I am. <laughs> Although maybe I'm eccentric, but not angry just yet. Awesome, man. Well, I'm sure that a lot of listeners are going to be familiar with you. But for those who are not, please introduce yourself. Tell them a little bit about you. All right. So Viva Fry is the YouTube moniker. Uh, David Freiheit means Freiheit means freedom in German. For anybody who's looking for some knowledge, Frei is free. Height is the state of being. Uh, born and raised in Montreal, youngest of five kids. Four of the five turned out to be lawyers. Father's a lawyer. Uh, wait, what can I say? I studied philosophy at McGill, got an honors degree in philosophy, moved into law like, you know, for the five kids, got my law degree. I got a job at what was one of the biggest firms in Canada, straight out of law school, worked there for including internship, six years, seven years, give or take, had my first kid, said I needed to change my life, uh, left the law firm, thought I was going to go into commercial photography, ended up starting my own practice within a month or two, ran that for about 10 plus years. Is the math going to add up? Yeah, about, about, about 10 years. And then uh, in the interim, started developing this YouTube thing and the YouTube thing has turned into the... Uh, the love, the passion, the career. That's awesome, man. Tell me a little bit more about your growing up. I mean, we're both the youngest of five children. Uh, I'm not from a family of lawyers, but I've got uh, multiple doctors in my family as well as other professions. And then um, I went off and chose this strange and bizarre path that I have chosen. But tell me a little bit more about your childhood and growing up. Well, so it, it, I mean, if you're the youngest of five, we're professionals. I mean, parents who take things seriously, <laughs> instill, I say professionals with, with quotes around it, parents who have pursued a professional degree, presumably, you know, pressure their kids to do the same thing. Uh, youngest of five, we, we fight for attention. Uh, we, <laughs> we, we grow thick skin. We learn how to fight back. Um, th but there's an eight and a half year difference between first and last. So we're pretty tight. But it was, uh, you know, growing up with parents who, in retrospect, looking back at it, I know that they were tired. I now maybe understand why my dad worked quite as much as he did. And in some sense, it's almost easier to work than it is to come home to five rowdy kids. And, and you know, the two last kids uh, might need more attention than others. Uh, but it, it, normal childhood, uh, Jewish family. We went to uh, Hebrew elementary school, uh, holidays, did the Friday night thing. Friday night dinners at our place was mayhem. And we would invite guests over or friends over and they would see what a Friday night dinner was at our house. It was debating everything, shouting, yelling. Everyone always thought we hated each other, but never understood that it was the, it was the debate at the dinner table. Dinner ended, and we all went back to, you know, being loving family members. Um, but it's a, it's a standard upbringing. I was a bit of a 
problem child, maybe between the ages of 11 and 17, uh, bounced around five high school, not five high schools, three high schools in five years, uh, and then straightened myself out in post-secondary university, uh, found my calling and, you know, found, uh, found where I am now. That's awesome, man. And you've gotten really heavily involved in the online video and socio-political commentary world. So how did you go from being a lawyer, being a litigator to getting involved in that world? It's weird because I, first of all, I don't like it. It's like, I wish I was not forced into this venue to some extent. It, it was organic, it was natural, and it was unavoidable. Uh, you know, I, I started as a lawyer practicing law. I was political in the sense that I would follow what was going on, but to a fraction of the degree uh, that I understand it now. Uh, practicing law, you know, you're working 10 hours a day, six days a week. You don't have time to get distracted uh, with politics to go into the nuance. You, you know, you, you check the litmus test issues every election and then you, you, you sign the ballot wherever you sign it. Uh, I, I was thoroughly and consistently unhappy with the practice of law, unfulfilled. So I was exploring video stuff online, you know, watching Casey Neistat. I got a GoPro for my Christmas present in 2014 and then just started exploring videography. Uh, mm. Deliberately avoided anything political because I found the discourse to be you know, toxic, to use a cliche, but unpleasant. No, nobody ever agrees in politics. It just leads to fights. You know, don't talk politics and religion at parties and the parties stay happy and jovial. Uh, but at one point in the evolution of the YouTube career, uh, you know, I, I would make the, the random fishing videos, cooking videos, whatever, emulating Casey Neistat, even if I you know, don't have his skills. But every time I made a video just about a day in the life of a lawyer, people said, I love this stuff. It's interesting. Do more of it. And then the channel just turned into law stuff. But even in the beginning of the law stuff, it wasn't, I won't say overtly political because I'm not sure if it's overtly political now, but I didn't appreciate the overlap, the, the, the infusion of politics into law. I mean, they're inseparable. And then I discovered it during COVID. And then, you know, the world got flipped upside down uh, and it was unavoidable. And above all else, it was what I felt uh, I needed to do now at this point in my life. And at this point of humanity mm -hmm. is to not be afraid to make some enemies, not be afraid to piss people off and to really vocally try to change a world that is going down a drain faster than we can continue to replenish the tub, so to speak. I hear that. What was it specifically that made you reach that conclusion? Was it in early 22, sorry, early 2020 when everything started kicking it, off with the shutdowns or was it before that? It was, I, well, actually, you know, I, it started with, with Trump, actually. Trump election 2016, I realized, holy crap, uh, it's, it's corrupt through the core. We've been lied to by the media, you know, not just now, but just apply it mutatis mutandis historically. Mm -hmm. But I still, even back then, I, I look back at my tweets and I, I, I didn't want to get into the fights online. It, it, I didn't feel it was doing any good. I didn't feel it was going to get anywhere. Uh, but that's really when I got awakened to the fact that everything is fundamentally corrupt to the core. Uh, what, the, what's, what specifically? What uh, was it specifically that, that it, it, it made was that the, penny drop? The, 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 the Trump getting elected and then being, uh, you know, the media and the political left, I'll say, being hellbent on delegitimizing his election. Okay. Spent three years. I mean, I guess it, it evolved over time, but it was just like I'm seeing a, a, an endless you know, slew of misinformation, which I said, like, holy cow, if this is true, it's, it's terrible. And then you mm -hmm. just you start learning more and more and you see in real time how people get misinformed brainwashed, deluded into a frothing, irrational rage. And I'm watching this happen with, you know, friends. I'm happy. I'm watching this happen with humanity. I was mm -hmm. like, holy cows, this is how the media works. This is how they manipulate. This is how they manufacture consent. And then it's in 2018 where I start applying some of the video content creation, my legal analysis to issues like uh, Bill C-16 coming out of Canada that Jordan Peterson was raising the flag about back in the day. Yeah. And I'm still, I'm still at the point where I'm saying, look, okay, you know, on paper, uh, these laws look okay. Sure, bad cases make for bad law, but I still had some faith that the system wasn't irreparably corrupt, despite what I had just seen with Trump. But it hadn't really hit the, it hadn't hit the climax even with Trump by 2018. Uh, but that was it. That's when it started. And you know, discovering, exploring, understanding the weaponization of all levels of government 
to try to delegitimize a duly elected president, demonize mm. his following, brainwash uh, those who just want to hear what they need to hear to justify what they already believe. That was the awakening. And then 2020 hit and then I'm like, holy crap, the, the world is being torn apart at the seams. Yeah. Do you know what's so interesting about all that is there are people who would consider themselves on the quote unquote other side of the aisle who say the exact same thing about those on the other side of the aisle, right? Even using the same terminology, misinformation, disinformation. Oh, those people are falling for propaganda. They're being brainwashed, you know, even the, the same storyline as well, right? I mean, I remember back in 2016, all the way through to 2020, it was perfectly fine. In fact, it made you a good person to question the integrity of the election and whether or not the sitting U.S. president was valid or if there was some kind of conclusion or there was some kind of fraud or this or that. And now, right, for someone to even broach that topic, you can get deplatformed off social media. You're a lunatic. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're this, you're that. Insurrectionist. And there's, <laughs> yes, there's this very uh, short-term, very highly selective memory where the people who have been claiming, you know, Russian collusion, Ukrainian collusion, you know, Trump is a Russian asset. He's not, not my president, not legitimate and so on. All of a sudden, I mean, that went all the way up to the top levels of, of the media. And then all of a sudden, any, any, any sort of that type of language or rhetoric, even suggestion will get you labeled a, a crazy person. And, you know, these terms misinformation and disinformation, those have been so highly weaponized over the past few years to, you know, it, it's a shame because many times these terms are terms that would be useful if they were not overused and used to describe everything people disagree with. But I even avoid that those words now, misinformation or disinformation, because I know that they've been used so propagandistically. Well, it, it, it's, an, it's an interesting thing what you say about the other side seeing it the exact same way, but flipped in, in inverse. Like, yes, it was obviously uh, Trump tried to steal the election 2020. Uh, uh -huh. He's using Fox News. It's a, it's a weird thing because I, I try to pull back and say, am I seeing this in a biased sense because I have a vested uh, ego, intellectual you know, uh, side of it to defend for my own integrity? Mm -hmm. And then I like to say, no, I, like, I'll, I can give you the concrete examples here. You know, I can give you the, the outright articles where the disinformation was purveyed. You know, people still don't know uh, how the FBI literally falsified evidence to obtain renewals of unlawfully obtained FISA warrants to spy on Carter Page to get into the Trump campaign. People don't know that. Mm -hmm. But then I do it. You know, I, I try to genuinely understand from the other side the way they see it. Uh, and yeah, it, it's it's a bizarre world because it, it, but the two sides, and I don't really put myself on one side, but I've been yeah, put on that you. side. I know. Uh, it's why I say quote. It's why I say quote unquote side because this is the framing that's that's always used. I mean, you yourself say you know you you don't consider yourself right wing, but people well, people call I, you right wing. They call me right wing, and then and then exactly. you know even people on the right on the right side. Like I'm I'm watching the Alex Jones trial, and the second you sort of say something that goes against what the people who hitherto had had respected by way of <laughs> assessment, all of a sudden, you know, it's like the, the tribalism of ideological, uh, not warfare, but ideological divide mm -hmm. uh, is on both sides. I think it's a little worse on one side than the other, but you know, it's, 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 it's a bizarre world. It's, it's post-truth where people are so thoroughly, people are still convinced that Russia colluded with Trump to impact the 2016 election. And oh, so, yeah. I, now, I could say, yeah, they use the words misinformation, disinformation. I'll say that they use them wrongly. I'll say that they use them propagandistically. And then I know that they're going to say the exact same thing about me. The only thing I do every now and again, because I'm open for it and I'm, I'm ready for it, pull out one tweet, pull out one statement, pull out anything where I was objectively wrong and did not correct. And then I'll, you know, then we can have a discussion. But when it comes to the Maddows, the Stettlers, uh, you know, having said the things that they've said over the course of years, never corrected in some cases and egregiously misinformation in others. I'll, I'll, I'll put myself up to that test any day of the week. And I await a, a good prime example that I would have to say, you got me. Yeah. Uh, So-called reliable sources. One of the, it was reliable to be unreliable. That was what it was reliable for. <laughs> one of the things I, I find really intriguing and at the same time, it's, 
it's disheartening, but it's also heartening in the long term. And this is that I think that there are a huge number of online commentators, both on social media and on video platforms and on podcasts, who honestly have more general integrity and journalistic integrity and interest in the truth than the people who are the faces of these multi-billion dollar giant media conglomerates. I mean, it's so strange. There's guys who are just running podcasts or doing YouTube channels or just on Twitter or whatever. And I'm like, this person, even if they don't call themselves a journalist, they have a higher degree of journalistic integrity than a lot of the professional journalists who are out there. And on one hand, I think that's kind of kind of sad. I think it would be nice if we could trust our institutions or at least trust that they're trying to get the truth out there and that they're not just purely propaganda, right? It's one thing to have a slight bias and to be open about it. It's another thing to just be, you know, completely peddling propaganda for a certain political party at the detriment of the truth. And I think in the long term, this is good because it's democratizing the news and the information and people are able to find individuals that they trust rather than just everyone listening to the same three or four people. And people are then able to work stuff out for themselves. On the flip side, it seems to be fracturing stuff, perhaps even even more. I I don't know because people go down their internet rabbit holes and get entrenched into their positions and they still do that thing where they don't really want to listen to what anyone who contradicts them is saying. And I don't know. It's um, it's messy. I think we're living in a very messy period time of human history. I think we're living in the greatest time to ever be alive by most objective measures. But it's certainly a deranging time. It's a very confusing time where people are saying that up is down and right is left and left is right and women are men and men are women. And <laughs> there's no... Yeah, there's no objective reality, according to some people, and that's we'll, quite concerning. We'll get to the transition. I was doing my homework on you, Zuby, beforehand, and I, I, I saw the controversy that you stepped in. The controversy, and I'm putting it in scare quotes for anybody who's only <laughs> listening on, uh, if it's only on audio, uh, it's the controversy that biological males who transition to, to, to females should not be competing in biological female sports. We'll get there in a second, but okay. it, it is, it, I'd say, destabilizing also involves freedom. Like, you're, you're in the, I don't know if, I've never read The Brave New World, but I imagine that's what it was. We're in The Brave New World now, where everyone, or a lot of people, tens of millions of people, if not you know more, have now realized and truly appreciated that the media has been lying to them, not just for the last five years, not just for the last 50 years, but basically since inception. You got books like The Grey Lady Winked, or The Grey Lady Winks, I forget which, uh, coming out and detailing how the New York Times, you know, peddling misinformation in 2016 and, and, and to present, has been doing it since 1915. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been doing it forever. It's just that, you know, before the internet, things were easily concealable. They were easily deletable. They were easily memor- memory holeable, or much more so than now. And what we've seen is a democratization of information f- for good and for bad, because you do have uh, independents out there who are, you know, after the clicks, after the rage, mm-hmm. rage, uh, whatever they call them, rage clicks, uh, out to promote their own narrative, even if it doesn't, you know, it's not exactly true. It comes with risks, but I say with great freedom comes great responsibility. We're seeing it. It's destabilizing, mm-hmm. but it couldn't have happened at a better time. And it couldn't have happened when it matters most because we're like basically in, in a world now where when you're fighting corruption, corruption fights back. And these entities that had a stranglehold uh, on the gatekeeping of information itself, they're now losing it at mm-hmm. the time when they needed to retain it the most. Uh, covid lockdowns, medical uh, tyranny, uh, you know, ESG, if they call, I think, what do they call it? Well, social credit. And, um, you know, it's, it's a risky time, but it is the best time, I say, to be someone who's after a pursuit of the truth, um, mm. and which is how, you know, we've ended up finding each other. <laughs> yeah, for real, people are so hungry for it. And it's, it's interesting how during this time of genuine isolation and division, and outright segregation in some places, and this mass sleepening of the human population, there's also at the same time been a mass awakening. And the ability for so many people across continents, different countries, different states and cities to actually find 
fellow free thinkers and find other people who are encouraging people to think and who are asking the questions that the media has completely been avoiding or ignoring, sometimes very, very obvious questions. And we've all found each other. That's one thing I find interesting. Yeah. In the past two and a half years, I'm like, man, the amount of people who, who I've connected with all different countries, right? I, I feel like I know, I feel like I'm, we're, we're almost like one degree of separation away to max from like every single free thinking person, liberty minded person in in the world, at least in at least in the Western world. All these people have somehow found each other. And I don't know exactly what that means for the future, but I think that's something that's really positive. I think a lot of positive things have come and are going to come out of that. When I was in the USA, I mean, I do I do meetups in different cities and it was so interesting doing meetups, um, you know, the two the biggest ones I had were in Los Angeles and in New York City. Not necessarily, uh, you know, but that's where it's needed the most. And I had to do multiple meetups in each city because hundreds and hundreds of people wanted to just come and, and hang out and just talk. And I was like, wow, this is I don't know exactly what this is. I don't know exactly what it is that I'm doing here, but it's remarkable that I've come from overseas from a whole different country and I can just land in L.A. and be like, yo, who wants to meet up? Uh, shoot me a DM and bang, I get 300 DMs. Well, I get 300 DMs. You know, it's it's been two years of isolation and people yeah. having these, I, I say having these thoughts, but they're not thoughts. People saying this is not right, but mm -hmm. you know, too many people around them complacent, just, you know, trying to get through the daily stuff. And then you have someone who comes out and says what they're feeling, mm -hmm. uh, makes sense of it. And they say, yeah, this is a community in a time of isolation. Uh, but it's it's also, it's it's totally bizarre as well how, I just call them truth tellers or truth seekers or people who try to be open, honest, and uh, forthright have become uh, not 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 rock stars, but just like you know what Popular. people are looking for on social media. They've had enough of the ivory tower type journalists. They've had enough of the lies. They've had enough of these politicians who do nothing. They see everyday people now speaking for them louder than they could speak for themselves, and it's uh, it, it creates a sense of community. It does. I mean, to me, it's simply it's truth seeking and sense making. You know, we do our best to tell the truth, as Jordan Peterson says, tell, tell the truth, but at least not lie. Right. And that's something this is what I was talking about, about that uh, just having integrity. Right. So I will never I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm never wrong about anything, but I do not lie. If I know that something is a straight up lie, if I know that something is just wrong, I know the truth. I'm not going to say something that I know is a lie and just put out this tweet and just say, oh, you know, I, I know it's not true, but it's going to score me points or it's going to be somehow in the short term beneficial to me. I do. I will not. I will not do that. And it's scary. It's shocking how we found that there are so many people in the media, at pharmaceutical companies, um, big businesses, politicians, whoever it is, who are completely OK to just lie. And I mean, look, if you've studied history, this shouldn't be a shocker to you that politicians and media people can lie. But to see it in this sense where where we've also got all the receipts, no, that's right? where, where, where that's the thing, right? It's, it's like, no wait, we can pull up the video from 2020. And we can see exactly what you said right there. And it is completely in contradiction to what you're saying now. You are, you know, you are lying then or you are lying now. And something that's amazing is you were talking before about correcting yourself is these people won't correct themselves. They won't say, okay, look, my bad. I made a mistake. This is what I thought a few months ago. We've got new information. This is, this is what we think now. They won't even do that. Uh, they won't accept any type of error, go you back on anything. They just claim, oh, the science changed. Well, it, it, it's the problem where, and this is not a case of confession through projection. It's that <laughs> They know that they would weaponize someone else's apology. They know that they would weaponize someone else's admission of guilt. And so they see admitting, admitting wrongness and correcting oneself as political weakness and not political yes. strength. And they just refuse to do it. Double down, uh, you know, wordsmith, nitpick and say, oh, I just had a, a, a debate with someone. What was it about? Oh, stupid stuff where they, they're just factually wrong because they didn't know. And then mm -hmm. you present it and they say, oh, well, I meant this. And, this. and you, they, try to, they try to just, you know, weasel out of it because to admit being wrong, to correct yourself is seen as political weakness. It's weaponized by political adversaries. And mm -hmm. so people become reluctant to do it themselves. I say there's, there's great freedom in being wrong. 
because you get to realize it's not the end of the world. Yeah. You get to realize that you get to build more credibility by admitting it and correcting it. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, when you do that, you realize that the true meaning of the expression, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation, but a moment to squander it. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you screw up once and it's not of good faith and then you compound it by not owning up to it immediately, uh, you know, you're, that's, that's how you turn a mistake into an error. Um, although should have been more clear when you make a good faith mistake, not when you get mm -hmm. caught lying. When you get caught lying, you're done. Lying's, lying's not a mistake. There's a big difference between making a mistake, huge difference between being wrong and lying. Completely different things. Absolutely. I mean, pe people people like to confound, you know, for political weaponization purposes, being wrong with lying. They say, mm -hmm. oh, you, you, were, you were lying. It's like, look, you're entitled to be wrong. If you knew what you were saying was wrong or you had no good reason to believe it was right, then it's a lie. If you just, if sorry, I looked at the wrong page, looked at the wrong stats. Sorry, mm -hmm. that was the best of our knowledge at the time. But the, the, the funny thing is, I, mean, I know you're thinking of the same example as me. COVID effectiveness, we were sold on the vaccine preventing transmission. And then they come back two years later and say, we never told you it was about preventing transmission. And you're like, sorry. They literally. There's a, there's a tweet from Albert Bourla, <laughs> April 1st, 2021, that says 100% effective at preventing transmission in South yep, Africa. Joe Biden, oh, Rochelle Walensky, head of the yeah, CDC. Of and then they say, oh, you're an anti-vaxxer if you don't want to take the, the vaccine. And then you get a video of all of them saying, I won't trust uh, a Trump vaccine. Trump, yep. You, you want to be the first one to take it? They, they, they think <laughs> we're stupid. They think that you can hide away your mistakes. And they... Yeah. Well, they also think like, you know, they just can't live with the standards that they've set for themselves. This goes all around the board in politics. Mm. Um, but that's why the, the Internet's beautiful because the Internet's forever. But that's also why, at least in Canada, it's coming to the States as well. The government is going hard at regulating independent voices on the Internet because the independent voices uh, expose the lies and they keep the government honest. And government does not like being kept honest. What on earth is going on in Canada? Canada is one of the weirdest countries to me because <laughs> I know so many based Canadians, right? Like I feel like most of the Canadians I know what I'm connected with are some of the, some of the, the best free thinkers, most liberty minded people. And then, but I mean, a, a lot of them have fled over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. Most of them don't live in Canada anymore because it seems to drive away that personality type. But what what's going on there? I mean, in the past couple of years, it's been, as it, again, from the outside, it's looked it's looked very, very weird and scary in at certain times. But what was it like even, I guess, before that? What's the... I know what the UK is like. I know what the USA is like. I don't know Canada very well beyond what I see on the internet and the handful of people I know. So I think in our overlapping Venn diagrams, we can probably agree that the UK is probably more similar to the US. So whatever you saw in the UK, you can probably apply that with some minor variation to Canada, because I've, I, I know Canada, I know the US, okay. radically different. And, and at first, my appreciation for the differences was more nuanced, or was, I thought it was a little more subtle. You know, Americans love freedom of speech. They love, they love First Amendment, they love Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. Canada, I thought we had First Amendment. I am, I think, sorely mistaken at this point. And mm -hmm. we certainly don't have Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. But above and beyond the obvious differences, America, as you know, if we're just outright generalizing, you know, you have to say, how do you define American zeitgeist? It's yep. a freedom-loving people. Mm -hmm. If you had to describe Canadian zeitgeist, it would be a security-loving people. Mm -hmm. And I think that basically explains, on the one hand, the difference in the response from the government. Although there was an attempt to play, you know, daddy government in the states, there was just a little more pushback depending on the state. But in Canada, it was daddy government. We're here to protect you, and Canadians who would prefer you know, safe prison over dangerous freedom. Say, oh yeah, okay, mm -hmm. fine. Lock us in our houses for however many months on end. Shut our businesses down. If you say it's for our safety, despite all common sense and, you know, basic predictions, uh, we'll do it. Uh, compliant, tend to regard rights as privileges and not God-given inalienable rights, despite the wording of our Charter of Rights. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that, that's, if you had to just, you know, categorize one as one and one as the other, that's what it would be. Gotcha. There's a lot of freedom-loving Canadians in Canada. There's a lot of Canadians who might, you know, prefer the dangerous freedom to the guaranteed safety of prison. Mm -hmm. um, and they've been pushing back a little bit. But I can tell you from friends and family in my milieu, a lot of them are all too happy with someone telling them what to do so that even if it's a mistake at the end of the day, they can say, well, it wasn't, I was just following orders. I was just doing what they said. So it's not my fault. I don't want yeah. to think for myself. If it ends up, you know, if, if what I end up doing 
causes harm to me or my children. The government told me to do it. It's not my fault. I can pass the buck of the blame. And mm. then others are like, I don't give a crap what the government says. I'm not locking my 12 year old in a room for two weeks uh, for COVID because that's child abuse. And I don't care if the government says I can do it. There's, a, there's, there's others of us like that out there. But uh, that's, that's basically the difference. I think we might even be more complacent than the UK, but I, I know nothing of UK culture. Yeah, I, I've often thought that. <laughs> I, I, look, I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage Canada or Canadians, but it's never really, it's never interested me as a place to, for example, move to. Like, I know, I know people in the UK who are like, oh, I'd really like to move to Canada or you know Australia or something, and I'm like, to me, I've been to Canada twice, but on this sort which, of socio cultural level, I've been to Quebec. Um, Quebec City. I know I, I went I went skiing, so I okay, didn't so really get I didn't go to any of the cities. Okay. And I've been around Toronto, but again, just for a wedding. So I've been to Canada twice, but I haven't like spent time there and really explored in the way that I have throughout the UK and Europe and the US. Um, but I feel it feels to me that the things I dislike about the UK are greater exemplified in Canada and more common. So th this is from the weather, to, <laughs> from, from the weather to the aspects of the, the, I love the UK, but there's certain aspects of society and culture that I, I don't like it. As you said, it's not, it doesn't have that Liberty minded thing as much. I think it has more than Canada does. I think the UK is kind of between Canada and the, and the U S on this. So I like that the U S really has that and it's got the entrepreneurial attitude and more pro freedom and it's kind of more in the dna and it's more just hardwired within the nation that's what attracts me to the usa with canada i'm like it seems nice but i know that those aspects that someone who's more security minded may actually think are good to me those are like negatives i'm like oh no i don't i don't want to be somewhere no, where you know, just again, just to make this very clear, look at the past two and a half years and look at the responses of, uh, you know, the UK compared to Canada, compared to blue state USA, compared to red state USA. Well, I mean, that's that's what I was clear. You know, about to say. It's like com, com, Canada is comparable to the bluest of the blue states in, yes. in America. So California, New York. And, mm -hmm. and I'm from the province of Quebec. So that's the French province in Canada, although New Brunswick is technically, you know, uh, bilingual as well but like Zubi, by way of example in quebec we just passed in the dead of night by the way uh, we don't have time to, to to legislate covid restriction measures because it's an emergency but overnight passed a piece of legislation which eliminated parental supremacy as the guiding factor of the youth protection act so bottom line once you get into the government system the government mm -hmm. decides what's in the child's best interest and, you know, it's always the same MO when they pass a law like this. They take the worst examples. Uh, the, the, what, what led up to this was a child who was put back into a foster home, not a foster home, but rather um, a family where one of the parents was not a biological parent. The details, I really don't think, matter all that much. But the kid was, the kid was ultimately abused to death. Mm -hmm. And the government comes in and says, look, uh, the, the kid, we have, to, we have to remedy this situation. So we are now going to determine what's in the child's best interest as if it was ever in the child's best interest to be put back into a home with an abusive parent. Mm -hmm. They're going to take that. They've passed it. And so now it's a reality that once a kid gets into the system, makes a complaint, whatever, the state, the system itself, the administrative body is going to make a decision as to what's in that child's best interest. It's and I said it at the time, this was my red line in the sand, at least for Quebec. Yeah. Uh, the state's going to come in and say, if your child wants to get vaccinated, and the parents don't want it, the court's going to decide what's in the child's best interest. If the kid wants to transition and the parents don't want it, file a complaint, get into the system. The government appoints its, its, its whatever the titles are, and the court's yeah. going to decide. If the kid says the kid's suicidal, uh, they're going to say, despite parents' uh, protest, we've determined it's in the, the, the state is taking over all aspects of, of, of life, more yeah. so in Quebec, and then it tends to spread out to the rest of the provinces. But yeah, yeah. Quebec, Canada is politically like California and the blues mm. of the blue states. And some people, some people like it. It's, it is a yeah, way. That's, that's, the, that's the part that gets me. To me, I, I say, look, I always say government is going to government, right? The government is going to do what the government is going to do, right? They're always going to be creeping towards more 
authoritarianism, more control, and so on, right? That's just the nature of it. But the way people react and respond to it tells me a lot. It's one thing to have the government encroaching on you and trying to do these type of things. And the people are like, heck no, right? The people are completely against it. Very, very few people supporting it and so on. It's another thing to, for them to be saying, yes, yes, we want this. We want more control. We want you to have more control. We want to have less rights and less freedom. And let, hey, look, my my friend or my brother over there is enjoying his freedom and liberty. Like you, you need to clamp down on him. Look at him out there being free and breathing fresh air and stuff like get him. I mean, that's the part that freaked me out over the past two and a half years. And I think so many people did not understand this when I was trying to explain it to them. I was like, look, it's not it's not just what the government is doing. It's the way people are responding. Look mm -hmm. at the response. It's if the government is doing this essentially with the people's consent, then, yo, I can't I can't be around that. I can't be around that because let this thing keep on going and you're going to be wanting to put me into the gulag. And I don't want to be. <laughs> I, I don't want to be hanging around with people and be surrounded by people who, if the government tells them to turn on me, they'd be willing to turn on me. Oh, right. Really? I'm a, I'm a peaceful law abiding human being. I'm not causing drama to, to anybody. Um, but what they did is they, they, they made people like ourselves illegal essentially. Right. They just made it so that, okay, well, yeah, you're law abiding, but we're going to just make new laws now, which are going to make you a rule breaker. And then we can get you. And I'm just like, yo, this is, so, this so, isn't yeah. how it should be in the Western world. In Quebec, uh, other provinces tinkered with the idea. We had a vaccine passport where you couldn't get into restaurants, theaters, uh, you know, stores, retail stores above a certain size if you didn't uh, show your, your QR code to show that you were vaccinated. And people were like, cool, that's fine with me. Just Honestly, get vaccinated. I, I, I saw it online, man. I saw and, it online. The CBC was was publishing articles about the, the joys and perils of snitching on your neighbor in the time of a pandemic and you had it you had like people ratting out neighbors for having underground play dates because we couldn't have people in you know our houses it's it's an interesting thing like yeah what the government does is one thing yes. and how society responds is another um but what i the, the, the paradox and it, it drives me nuts that people who support this crap don't understand it they say we need government because we can't trust everyday citizens because they're morons. And I was like, who do you think's in government? Like, if you don't trust your neighbors, why would you trust the government who are but people as well and people motivated by potentially not uh, pristine, uh, serene motivations? They like power. Mm. They like control. They like telling people what to do. And those are the people that you're going to choose to trust because you've decided you can't trust people in general. It's, it's, a, it's a paradox of idiotic proportions, and it drives me nuts that the people who support this crap don't understand it. Yeah, it's a, it's a very weird one because then those same people will say that they don't trust the politicians and they don't trust the media and this. And so like, pe people like to talk that talk. But then, I mean, again, we were talking before about the, the Trump situation, regardless of the Trump situation, right? That was one of the things that I was always like, wait, so the people who are claiming that you know, Trump is an authoritarian and he's a fascist and he's this and he's that and all that, those will be the same people two seconds later who will be saying that, um, you know, only the government like in, in the U S perspective, only the government should have access to, to firearms, right? Yeah. Only the, it's like, right. So you're claiming that the government is you, you've got the, the fourth Reich essentially. And Trump is this person who wants to, harm and kill people right? i mean remember he's putting kids in cages he's gonna genocide right like if you believe that if you if you believe that that the government and the people involved in the administration are that evil you should be like more libertarian than i am you, you should be right we need to <laughs> this is the thing so so it's like wait hang on do you do you trust or do you not trust and i tend to go more with how people behave than what they just sort of say on the surface level. It, it's one step further than that. I mean, th th there's there's that aspect of it. If you don't mm -hmm. trust the government, you, you don't want to empower the government with all aspects of, of private life or yeah. regulating private life. The, but the other total paradox is Trump is a fascist. MAGA Republicans are fascists. So we need to go raid all of their allies, uh, put them all in jail, put them in gulags because it's for the protection of democracy. It's for the, it's for the fortification <laughs> of society. It's... I, I, you know, uh, I keep saying a Lewis Carroll, but I don't remember who said it exactly. Uh, but they said like, you know, the tyranny that's committed 
with the blessing of the conscience of the individual is the worst kind because they can go on doing it forever and they can justify anything. And so like, Trump is a fascist and we have to so protect against this fascist, we have to politically persecute everyone and anyone that had anything to do with him. And lo and behold, we do not appreciate we have just become the fascists that we're warning about. No, just put an anti in front of it and it's fine. Just like mm -hmm. with racism. <laughs> call, yourself yeah. an anti, call yourself an anti-racist and you can say pretty much whatever you want about whatever group of people and it's somehow okay because power dynamic or something so what was you know speaking of that and i was reading about the controversy uh when you posted uh, to social media a little while back that you just broke the women's deadlifting comp uh, <laughs> world record and, and, and because you identify the woman and i was reading some of the responses which was it, oh you don't just flippantly willy-nilly decide that that's how it works and yada yada uh how did you how did you navigate that storm or was it not as big of a storm at the time as it might be made out to be in real time. Oh, it was, it was huge. It was huge, but 99% of people, 99% approval rating. All right. I mean, millions and millions of people saw it. So of course, thousands of people did not like it, but millions of people vast. I'll tell, it, it, it was crazy, man. Cause this is three and a half years ago now. So this is going all the way back to February, 2019. At the time I posted that, I had 18,000 followers on Twitter and about 50,000 across all social media. Um, so, you know, I thought it was going to get a few laughs. I thought it was funny, but I had no idea this video would go on and get millions of views around the world and be seen by everyone from Tucker Carlson to Joe Rogan to Ben Shapiro. Like, I did not know it was going to be the thing that put me on the map and the radar for so many people. Um, what was hilarious about it though, is that it was a complete checkmate maneuver. So for the people who promote this ideology and push these ideas, there was no valid criticism that they could make of it. What would be a valid criticism, right? Well, uh, if, if I'm playing devil's advocate, what they'll mm -hmm. say is, uh, go through a year or two of hormone therapy to block your testosterone, to, 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 to implicitly acknowledging, to bring down the biological advantage that mm. you have. And then you'll be more even playing ground because you've brought down your innate biological advantage. Well, I would, you, one could argue that that in itself is transphobic, right? Because I thought a woman is anyone who identifies, identifies as an adult as a woman, <laughs> right? So yeah. if I want to go into a female changing room, a female restroom, a female spa. I've been told, not by you, but by by the people, by the advocates, by the activists, I've been told I can go there with my beard, with my penis, with my testicles. I don't need to be on any hormones or anything. People have done this, by the way. I'm sure you've seen those stories. Um, and it would be transphobic of them to deny me entry as long as I say I self-identify as a woman. Why should I need to wear a dress? Why should I need to wear lipstick? Why should I need to go on hormones? Right. You don't even need to you don't need to go through a surgery. You don't need to do any type of modification. You can do that if you choose to. But I've been told that a woman is anyone who identifies as a woman. So, sure, maybe they have a point that for the sake of competition, right, that there's a specific rule that should be followed there. But generally speaking, in terms of your wider argument, I'm a I'm a woman. So e either I'm a woman or, you know, the opposite is that they say, OK, that's not really a woman. That's a man. But yeah, that's transphobic. Or you say, yeah, that's a woman, in which case, cool, I, I, I did break the record. You can, uh, you know, we can be fiddly on hormone levels and stuff like that. But again, if you talk to the most hardcore activists are not arguing along a line of testosterone levels, they're arguing along the lines of self-identification. Yeah, so was, I'm no, just I'm pushing it to its logical conclusion. There was a, I forget his name now, but it doesn't really matter. A North Carolina rep who, who put out a tweet and said, a woman, since people have been asking me, yes. I'll answer the question. A woman is someone who identifies as an adult female. Like, yeah, that that's that's great. But then it's it's it, the thing is that, you know, when you say 99 percent approval rating, mm -hmm. it's a bizarre thing that to state what is just it, it's it's kindergarten cop level common sense. <laughs> Boys have been and there's, there's nothing wrong with it. And then you can get into the, the you know, the gray zones of people who who who. Um, who have their own preferences or, or, you know, depending on how you want to call it, um, feelings, feelings. I mean, Desires. It's, it's, it, it is clinically referred to as gender dysmorphia. 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 dysmorphia so yeah. I, I, it's not a judgmental thing, but there are people, yeah, there are, there are, we're, we're on a spectrum, all of us, mm -hmm. uh, some is black and white. And then, you know, some of it's in the gray zone, but to try to make new rules out of the exceptions 
yeah, it is preposterous. The issue, though, is, and, and you've, you've seen it because of the backlash that you got from the vocal minority. People are scared to state the obvious because they don't want to deal with the backlash. They're just happy mm -hmm. living day to day. And it's like, that question doesn't come up on a daily basis for 99 point however many percent of the people. David, let, 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 me, let me tell you something funny about what you just said there. So as you know, when that was blowing up, I got invitations to go on a huge number of media platforms in the UK, in the USA, mainstream, online, everything. So obviously one of the, you know, the, the best known media institution in the UK is the BBC. I was invited on multiple BBC programs, both at the local and national level. When those cameras were off, people were like, thank you. Thank you. Finally, finally, someone, someone did this. Like, finally, someone is just like willing to jump on this landmine. <laughs> and I'll, and I'll tell you, do you know who was particularly thanking me? Women, women with daughters. They were like, thank you. They're like, you know, I, I, I work, I work here, right? We have to be neutral we can't put our perspective but thank you so much for us so when those cameras weren't rolling people were just thank you no one was critical some people are like oh the bbc is super woke and this i was like bro they were so grateful that this thing that had been on their mind and which they'd been looking at and just being like this is bonkers yeah, well, um but this is the interesting thing also like uh, i'm not sure if you've read gad sad's parasitic mind and i'm not yes. sure if he said it in an interview or on the book in the book but you know he, he he has a certain degree of resentment for the people who are not it's not that they're not correct who don't want to step on that landmine or even tend to the individual who just did yes. he, he's got resentment for them yes. and i think it's a legitimate resentment uh, mm -hmm. the question is how do you uh how do you get those i mean there, there's there's the, the, the pillars, and then you, you unfortunately do need the foundation or the support. How do you get yeah. those people to stop being scared of what, by and large, is a fear of the blowback and not the blowback mm -hmm. itself? How do, you, how do you reach them? And did any of them come forward publicly afterwards? Man, I, I, I hear you. So I'm not speaking for those that I was just talking to because I think working at the BBC is a very specific thing because it's a, you know, it's a publicly funded institution and due to their own rules, you know, there's, they have to be sort of neutral on everything, at least publicly. Um, for the general population though, and look, I don't, I don't like saying this. I don't like saying this. But most people are pretty cowardly. The, the, we, there's not a lot of courage in our modern society. Courage has been, you know, we've gone so many decades now without an obvious need for courage, just like there hasn't been an obvious need for physical strength and physical fitness and masculinity and all these other things. And courage has gone with it, right? Courage is no longer considered a virtue that is held in very high regard. If you if you go to any, you know, country, certainly if you go anywhere where there's some type of uh, war or conflict going on, but if you just go somewhere where there's more basic survival needs that need to be met, courage is held in very high regard. And with that is, you know, strength and physical fitness and masculinity and a man being a man and yeah, similarly a woman being a woman and so on. It's held in high regard. I think that it's been so many decades since there's been real conflict in the West. I think, by the way, this is why people responded how they did to the Ukraine thing, because people thought it couldn't thought it couldn't happen. Right. And you saw how quickly courage became a virtue again. Right. You saw how quickly people people fell into gender roles. Oh, women can flee the country. Women and children, you go. Men, you're not even allowed to go. Right. It changed. It changed real, real quick. So I think that's really just where we are now. I think that across men, women, older, younger people, there's just an absence of courage because people haven't been training. People haven't been training their courage muscle. I'm not talking about leaping into battle and running into a burning building or doing putting your life at risk in the way people quite gladly did in the past. I'm just talking about voicing your opinion, right? When people talk about the potential consequences, they speak as if Oh, if I say, if I say that, you know, the police are going to come and kick down their door, they're going to get shot or something. It's like, no, like, you know, it's like, oh, but you know, I, I have children, I have a job. It's like, bro, most people have a job. Most people have children, right? There's nothing special 
about having a job and having children. Billions of people around the world have that. You're not in some unique position. Um, it has nothing to do with money, by the way. Some people are like, oh, well, you know, if I had enough money, it's like, nope, there are people who are multi, multi-millionaires and billionaires, and they're complete cowards as well. Some of them are even bigger cowards, especially celebrities. I will straight up say that because, you know, I feel the same way Gad Sad does because I've had these DMs by the hundreds. I, you know, I know, I know people who are there who some people won't even follow. They follow me on Twitter, but they won't actually follow me. <laughs> Because yeah, they're afraid yeah. that, you know, one of their coworkers might see their stuff or they don't they don't like my hey, I can't like your tweets publicly or retweet you, but just so you know, I'm support I'm like, bro, you're not supporting me. You're you're that guy who's hiding behind the sofa telling me to go fight. Um, so I understand why Gadsad has that resentment, because I wouldn't say I have resentment, but I I don't I don't respect or appreciate it. Cause I think people like that are part of the problem. If you're not willing to, you know, people ask me about cancel culture. And I've said many times that cancel culture only works in conjunction with cowardice culture. If people were not cowardly, cancel culture would not work. And when I'm talking about cowardly, I'm talking about the people who run organizations who bend the knee to the mob. I'm talking about people's friends and coworkers. I'm talking about people who sponsor podcasts, whatever, who will cave as soon as some dork on Twitter tells them that, oh, you, should, uh, you shouldn't sponsor Viva Fry's podcast because I don't like him. And they're like, oh, we're sorry, we didn't, we mean, and they throw you under the bus at the same time. It's like, bro, man up, have it's, some it courage, was, stand by people. First of all, I, I, I love what you just said. And it yeah. really, it made me immediately think of, what was it, the, the podcast conference that apologized for the presence of Ben Shapiro? It's, it's an interesting <laughs> concept. The, the, the uh, courage is lost, or I think, you know, to some extent, courage, has been replaced by this superficial perception of virtue. And mm -hmm. people now think that it's courageous to be virtuous weak. to the point. That, it, yeah. it, it, the, the, the weakness is now considered a virtue. The more easily offended you are, the more pathetic you are, the more emotionally incontinent you are, you get rewarded for that now. And that, oh. you, don't get re you don't get rewarded in terms of long-term success, I don't think. But in the short term, that's what you get the points for. You don't get the points for putting your foot down. It's like, oh, no, he's mean. I, well, I would, I would, they don't say weak. They say sensitive to sensitivities. I mean, that's it. It's an it is an amazing thing where 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 people it, we've gotten into an era where people define themselves based on their sensitivities to mm -hmm. other people's perceptions of of, of whatever. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting idea that courage is a muscle that has to be exercised. I I still tend to think courage is contagious, and so people do get inspired by other people's courage, even if they lacked mm -hmm. it in the first place. But I then I think mo most people also just have to realize very few things are the end of the world. And yes. once, once you've, once it's happened to you once, twice, you realize it's not quite the end of the world. And that I guess is building the courage muscle, but uh, it, it, it is. And you know, sorry, sorry to interrupt. The thing oh, is people also need to remember what courage is, right? Courage is not a complete absence of fear. Courage isn't for, for you to have courage. The thing you're doing potentially has to have some has to at least have some potential consequences or ramifications but regardless you go wait this is the right thing to do right this is the right thing to do take take the obvious example a firefighter someone in the military um a policeman who's dealing with crime there is a risk right do you remember man this is, this is conflating issues a little bit but remember the there was that school shooting in texas the uvalde mm -hmm. uvalde one, yep. right what did the police officers say about why they were just standing around outside they said that they were scared they could get shot. It's like, bro, if you're a police officer, you signed up for this job. Now, if you want to completely stay away from danger, do not be a police officer. By taking this role, imagine imagine being in the army and you're like, no, no, I'm not going to battle. I could get shot. It's like you, you're in the military. Go out there. Your job, you've signed up for this. Right. The, 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 you, you didn't sign up under an agreement that this is a this is a low risk, no danger, no fear job. It's like, no, there's the fear. There's the fear. But you're supposed to do the right thing. Right. You're supposed to do the right thing. So people are forgetting what the word even means. And they're thinking that it means, oh, well, you know, they're like, oh, well, this could happen or that could happen. It's like, yeah, you know, you know what it could. You know what it could. Right. You could. You, you could get a Twitter mob, like really, from realistically, that's probably the worst thing that might happen, right? Oh, you, you might get so you might annoy the, twi the Twitter mob. Oh, you might, you know, you might risk, uh, you know, every day we're doing these things. There's a risk that we could be talking, oh, that, you know, YouTube could take this video down. I don't think they will. I don't think they should, but they, they could, 
right? They could go, oh, look, we don't we don't like this guy on Twitter. We're not you 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 could you could be deplatform. You could lose a sponsorship. You could have this and this, and it's like, yeah, but overall, the the thing that I am addressing and the thing that we need to talk about that is more important than the potential fear. And I I think if more people operated on that, even just 10%, 20%, we'd live in such a different society because as you said, courage is contagious, but so is cowardice. And yeah. so when there's too much cowardice, that also spreads to other people. This is part of why I hated the masks, by the way, right? Because it was spreading, it was spreading the cowardice and the anxiety towards other people. It was projecting it onto other people, right? The more people people see wearing masks, the more scared they are, the more, the more they have to comply. And I'm just like, guys, take these things off. Take these things off. And once well, you take them off, other people will feel more comfortable to take them off. Or, or they'll just harass you and, and, and chase you out of the out, out of the store. I, yeah. <laughs> but as far as the masks went, I, I, again, I, I, I don't go out looking for looking to instigate arguments or fights. And I got criticism on social media because I was wearing the masks as required by law in, in Quebec. And it was like, oh, dude, dude. I was like, I'm, I'm not going around on a daily basis picking fights with fellow citizens. It's not I am. A, a fruitful. I don't want to. And, and, <laughs> and this is what, although, although that being said, someone goes on my Twitter feed, they might think I'm walking around picking fights with people, but picking fights with the right people no. and not, not, you know, the neighbors. Because mm. to some extent, I, I do, I genuinely believe that part of the incidental, if not desired outcome, was specifically to cause strife among the community. And what better way mm -hmm. to do that? Make them fight among each other for the guy not wearing the mask so they fight with each other as opposed to fighting the people making these decisions or the policies. Sure. Um, but uh, no, they, it's interesting. It's, it is all contagious. Mm -hmm. I just say, you know, if, if everybody could just get a dose of, that, of the reality that the fear is often worse than the, you know, what they're fearing, that yes. would be good. But also I think people will get a taste of it and hopefully it's not too late that sometimes the regret of not having acted in mm -hmm. a courageous manner for the minimal effort it would have taken mm -hmm. lives with people for a long time. And, and I, I can't think of the incident offhand, but I do remember there was a time when I should have said something to mm -hmm. defend someone who was being not, not social media. This is in my personal life. I didn't do it. And I immediately felt like a coward afterwards. And I haven't forgotten that feeling. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure I never feel it again. Yeah. And, and deeper than that, if someone wants, you know, something that's more kind of like philosophical and logical even, is you have to think about the consequences of not just the consequences of you doing something, the consequences of you not doing something. What are the consequences of you staying silent, right? What are the consequences of that? Not just for you personally, but for, I, I especially say this to people who have children, because one thing I get, oh, Zuby, you're, you don't have kids yet like you, so you, you, don't, you don't get this, you don't get that. It's like, what kind of world do you want your children to grow up in? Do you want them to have less freedom than you? Do you want them to have fewer liberties than you? Do you want the government to do you want them to be living in, you know, a completely controlled state where they have a QR barcode on their forehead and they have to chip and scan everywhere and they have social credit scores and all? Because that might sound that might sound crazy now, but in 15 years and 20 years and 30 years, with when when they when they when your five-year-old is 35 years old, that's entirely possible, no, right? You know that they're already experimenting with this in China. So it's like, what are the consequences of silent? People often say, oh, man, how did how did stuff get here, right? How did we get to this place? And it's like, because you let it, you let yeah. it. Like if from 2010, 2010, we were not having these conversations, right? And then it was like, you let a very fringe, fringe minority of the population push you, infect all these things, get in here, get in here, just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, pushing this on your children, pushing this on you. And no one, not enough people were just going, no, no, enough, stop, right? I, we don't, I, I, we don't I, want this. I don't want to get doom pilled on you, but uh, you know, <laughs> you, you, you talk about the generation for kids, and I've got three kids, two girls, which is why I'm sort of particularly sensitive as well to the idea that they might have to be competing against biological males after the age of testosterone. But yep. um, you know, there's a generation of kids now that are being brought up with this being normal in Canada, you know, interprovincial travel potentially mm -hmm. being regulated, I know. Uh, and and that's going to be their new normal. I wonder if it's already not too far gone or too late for some nations. And then the question is, how do you, how do you reinstill that sense of uh, love for freedom mm. with all the risks that it has? How do you, how do you, you know, re give birth to that again? Uh, yeah. I, I, I fear that it's not possible and we might, uh, on my darker days, I feel that it's not possible, but that sort of gives 
uh, ammunition. I shouldn't say yeah, that. Man, it gives I mean, fuel for the, for the lighter days. I hear you, man. And it might be the case that some countries are too far gone. Because, look, I believe, one of my beliefs is that the power always lies with the people, ultimately. Ultimately, the power always lies with the people. Yes, there's the state, there's the government, there's politicians. But look, we've got democracies, right? You, 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 you vote for the people in there, right? They're not getting in there by complete dumb luck. And sure, people can be shifted in different ways and they can mess with it a little. But if, if Canadians really didn't want Justin Trudeau, he would not be the prime minister. That's what, that's, that's what right? makes me... That's what makes you, me you see what I mean? So <laughs> if how did Ron DeSantis end up in Florida? It wasn't by accident. They chose him. They chose him. They selected this is the guy that we want, right? How does California have Gavin Newsom? They had the recall election last year. They could have gotten rid of him. Look at the way, even in the UK, in the UK, they're not afraid to get rid of a prime minister, right? They didn't like Boris John. They were like, oh, no, Boris needs to go. We need, we need. So the power ultimately, uh, it, I, I believe it always ultimately lies with the people. I just think that people are kept in this state where they don't realize that. They don't realize it. They don't believe it. And they'll even push back against you. If you tell them, oh, I can't do anything. I can't. It's like, dude, we are, we literally pay all their salaries, right? They're supposed to be, politicians are not meant to be uh, gods or, or, or kings. We, we literally pay their salaries. We elect them. They're supposed to work for us. They're supposed to be public servants, public representatives. So if that's not what they're doing, then you get rid of them and you bring in other people who are going to do it better. So, but if, but people have to want that. If that's not what people want, if people would opt for the security state over the freedom state, then if you're this, if you're a freedom guy, I think you got to move. I think, you know, you, you got to go and find the place that suits you. I think you're going to, you're going to have your freedom places. You're going to have your so-called security places. You're going to have your places with a uh, social credit scores and all these oh, restrictions. Yeah. And you're going to have places that don't have it. That's what I think. I don't think you're going to get this type of global tyranny. That's why I don't really worry so much about the whole sort of like global one world order kind of thing. I, I don't believe in that. I think you'll get pockets where it's like, okay, that's what, that's what they've chosen. And maybe they have their imaginary safety and security, but then you can also have places that are more traditional and normal. Well, you know, the, the, the one world order thing is sort of uh, not dramatized, but oversimplified. I mean, I, I think I've seen the way it works now, this a global idea. It doesn't have a, a head. It's just all of these leaders all feeding off each other in real time. And then you end mm -hmm. up having what was nothing more than a global order in response to the pandemic under the, under the pretext of, science safety for the greater good mm -hmm. but um no, no, no. I, even I, with I, even with that though there's plenty of places see we have we have a western bias right but there are tons of places where they did not go along with any of it right big continent called africa the small western country that didn't go along with it was was sweden even i sweden sweden yeah. and uh it, belarus yeah so there's pockets you know red state usa and rural places in us they generally didn't didn't go with it so you know, that's something that still gives me a lot of hope because I don't think even if they wanted to, even if they really had this goal of, right, okay, we want to just install this kind of global system. I think you can do it in some places and the people will let you do it in some places. And then I think there's other places where it's like, okay, right. But you, but again, you've got to be someone who's willing to, willing to move, right. If you're someone who just wants to stay where you are forever, then you're going to just have to accept whatever the majority pushes. Mm -hmm. But if you're willing to be flexible and go where you're treated best, then um, yeah, you're going to have options. The world is a big place. Well, we're going to see what happens in Canada now. The Conservative Party, I don't know if you know, has a new leader, Pierre Poilievre, who is mm. very critical of Trudeau government, very critical of at least becoming critical of Canadian government subsidized media. So Canadians, will maybe they'll have a choice earlier than three years. Um, some people think there's not going to be much left of Canada in three years, but we'll see. They'll have, a, they'll have another chance to vote like they did in September when I, okay. I, ran, I ran for office in my riding in Quebec and lost boy howdy, but my riding has gone liberal for the last 30 some odd years by more mm. than half. But yeah, they'll, they'll get their chances. I just think the problem is part of the, part of the effect is that too many people think that the, pe the power of the people doesn't actually mean anything, that you'll have election fortification at a national level. When it comes to the recall, they'll suddenly decide that they, again, value signatures to exclude enough ballots to not get someone recalled. Not saying that happened, just it, there might have been more ballots rejected on the recall of Gavin Newsom than in all the national election. But some people have been blackpilled into thinking the power of the people doesn't exist anymore. And I guess that's the question is you got to you got to mm. inspire and uh, inspire them you to do. 
Inspiring. You know, pe people need to people need to remember that demoralization itself is a weapon, right? So that's why people need to stay away from the doomer stuff, from the black pill stuff. Because if you if you don't think you can win the fight, then you've lost. Simple as that. In anything, you don't think you can win, you've lost. I like it. Awesome, Viva Fry. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you online? Uh, so long as I stay on YouTube, Viva Fry. But I'm also now exclusive to Rumble, uh, Viva Fry as well. Twitter. The sassier Viva Fry. It's the Viva Fry. Got a platform with my, you know, lawyer partner friend Robert Barnes on this platform called Locals. It's vivabarneslaw.locals.com. And that's pretty much it. If you Google my name, a ton of stuff will come up, including me catching a beautiful bass with a drink <laughs> once upon a time when the world was sane. <laughs> hey, man, we'll get it back there. Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thank you for it. having me. It was great. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.